It's a Tuesday night in early October of 2018. Teresa and Mike Matheny are in Port Huron, Michigan, heading to a steakhouse. They've come all the way from their home in Atlanta, Georgia. They're nervous, excited, overwhelmed, because for the first time, they're meeting in person the birth parents of the child they're hoping to adopt. Being matched with expectant parents hundreds of miles away meant that all communication up to this point was over text and phone. Now, here was their opportunity to see each other, face-to-face before the birth. It all felt like a dream, like they had made it all up. We met our birth parents. They were real. She was pregnant. The woman who was pregnant, she doesn't want to be named for this story. But there was also someone else at this dinner with the Matheny's and the birth mother. And that person is Tara Lee. Tara Lee ran Always Hope Pregnancy and Education Center, where she matched families hoping to adopt, like the Matheny's, with pregnant women who were making an adoption plan. And this steak dinner would be the first time the Matheny's met Tara in person as well. So here they were, the Matheny's, the birth mother, and Tara Lee. I remember it like it was yesterday. She had on a Rolex She had on, like, Prada reading glasses, a Lululemon sweatsuit, and, like, probably a $3,000 Louis bag, maybe more. And just, like, the nails, the fake eyelashes, this whole look of, like, I don't even know how to explain it. The Matheny's were confused and pretty put off by Tara's whole look. And then she didn't really make a good impression. Tara dominated the entire conversation. Mm -hmm. We would ask the birth parents a question, like, we're trying to get to know them. Tara would butt her way in and, like, was answering everything. It was impossible for the Matheny's to talk to the birth parents. Tara was sucking all the air out of the room. She was interrupting, talking over people. It was rough. But that wasn't the only thing about this dinner that made it difficult for the Matheny's. Because they knew something about Tara. Something that made it hard to focus on the evening. And they weren't allowed to talk about it. We're literally sitting across from her at dinner you know, having to act like everything's fine. In reality, this meeting was years in the making for the Matheny's. All of their hopes of becoming parents rested on Tara. It was Tara who had connected them to the birth mother. It was Tara who was providing them an opportunity. And it was also Tara who might not be who she claims to be. At this point, we know that she's being investigated by the FBI. So everybody is trying to like play it cool. I'm Alzo Slade, and from something else, this is Cheat. The show where we ask the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? This week, Praying on Hope, Part 1. How one person gamed the private adoption process for personal profit. There are over 100,000 adoptions that take place in the United States each year. And that's kids of all ages. But of that number, about 18,000 of them are infants. Adopting a baby is not easy, partly because there are a lot of decisions a prospective family needs to make. One of them is what kind of adoption you want to do. There's public adoption, which is also known as the foster care system. Usually, the aim of foster care is for children to return to their birth parents, but it can result in adoption, often with children that are older. But the main focus in your story is going to be regarding what's called private adoption. This is Talia Getting, a family law attorney 
who handles private adoptions. Private adoptions are done usually with infants, and they're often done with either an adoption facilitator and or attorneys or adoption agencies. It depends on your state and laws. There are very few federal guidelines when it comes to adoption, largely leaving the process up to each state. With laws and protocols varying from state to state, it's kind of confusing for anyone who's not a lawyer. So while a family seeking to adopt doesn't need to go through a private agency, agencies and the people that run them can help them navigate the various laws and procedures, recommend attorneys, and clear a path through what can be a pretty complicated process. And perhaps most importantly, agencies can facilitate what's called a match, which is when a birth parent or parents look for a family to adopt their future child. They're like the ultimate middleman. They're kind of like a, a realtor. And I know this analogy has holes in it. I'm not trying to compare a house with a baby. But just like a realtor, Tara was the one who had the necessary expertise to bring both parties together. And she had the credentials. Licensed social worker, licensed counselor, and doula, which is a trained professional who supports a mother leading up to the birth, during it, and in the recovery afterwards. Tara made it clear to the families who were interested in working with her that her agency focused on birth mothers, making sure that they were getting the support they needed in this process. So Tara would handle everything that went into the match. She would liaise with the birth mothers while also offering them counseling and other aid. The lawyers like Talia only came in at the very end. As lawyers, what our job is to do is once the child was born, then the paperwork that we've prepared gets signed. So there's a transfer of custody at the hospital after the child's born. But nothing can be signed until the child's been born. Talia first met Tara in 2016 while advising on an adoption that involved Tara. At that time, Tara was operating her agency out of Florida. It was a year after that that I worked with her a little bit more on just a few adoptions. So I didn't really know her very well. I just knew she was out there in the adoption world. But they didn't start working together regularly until Tara moved her operation to Michigan. When I first met her, she came across as a really busy mom. She had five children. Two of them were adopted. She presented herself as being very blessed. Her husband made so much money, she could do what she wanted to do. And what she wanted to do was adoptions. Talia and her law partner started to process adoptions with Tara. And while Tara was super passionate about her work, from the beginning, Talia noticed that working with Tara was sort of chaotic. We would get a phone call from some adoptive parents saying, hey, you know, Tara Lee gave us your information, said you're an adoption attorney. Can you help us out? So that's how we would get involved. The calls always seemed to be last minute. Talia would have no time to plan. She get these calls and have to leap into action, processing the necessary paperwork to make the adoption happen. But she knew that Tara was juggling a million things. It was clear she had a lot on her plate. I mean, she was also raising five kids. She's just doing too much. She's just trying too hard. Despite the chaos, Talia processed nearly 30 adoptions with Tara. And Tara had a lot of demand. She moved quickly. She had a lot of experience, and she was an adoptive mother herself. People liked that she was straightforward, and importantly, that she was willing to work with a range of people, 
because it's not always easy for families to find agencies that will work with them, like Teresa and Mike Matheny. A lot of the larger agencies won't work with anyone other than, you know, Christian faith families. And so Mike's Jewish, I'm not. And so we found a small Jewish agency in Atlanta. But even if you do find an agency to work with you, it can take a long time to make a match. For example, the Matheny's, they set up their profile with this Atlanta agency and had no response for 18 months. No one even looked at their profile. So they looked at other options as well. They found a family-owned agency in South Carolina, and it just so happened this is where Teresa's father lived. They liked the people running it. And for some reason, it just felt right. And their feeling was right. The Matheny's soon had the promise of a match. Within two weeks, I don't even know if it was two weeks, it was probably a week that we were signed with her, she had a situation with Always Hope. Through this small agency in South Carolina, the Matheny's became connected to Always Hope in Michigan. And after waiting for so many months, they seemed to have a match. They just didn't realize how quickly things would start to move. At this point, it was at the end of September of 2018, and Mike and Teresa had flown to the Georgia coast for a wedding. And that's where we got the phone call saying that we had a potential match, that she had a social worker that wanted to talk to us, and that social worker was Tara. Tara Lee of Always Hope. And Tara, she had good news. Really, really good news. The birth mother was ready to talk to them. The catch, though, she was on the phone. Like, right now. It was literally that morning was the first time that we talked to Tara on the phone. And then she put the birth mother on three-way after she spoke with us. I mean, and basically, like, at the end of that call, Tara asked if she wanted to choose us, and she said yes. And so it was just this huge emotional roller coaster. The phone call was on September 27th, and the birth mother was scheduled to have a C-section on October 7th in Michigan. So we're talking about just a matter of weeks, which is pretty quick. Usually you'd have a match in place well before the due date, but this is how Tara operated. For the Matheny's, it felt sudden, but it was way better than the waiting even if it meant suddenly having to get everything into gear super fast. They might have a baby in just a few weeks. And remember, while all of this is happening, they're checking into the hotel, trying to get themselves together for a wedding. It was like a whirlwind. And in the mix of it all, Tara informed them about the fees. She was just like, you know, I'll, I'll send over the contract later, and then we'll talk about making an arrangement for payment. It all seemed... Normal. I literally made a payment via credit card that day, like later in the afternoon. And then over the course of the weekend, as things start to calm down a little and, and we start to like process and stuff, it was like, wait a second, like I just paid this woman all this money and she, I never, I didn't have the contract. Mm-hmm. Two payments, one of 8000 and one for 5000 So we sent her a total of 13000 There are a number of fees that can come with private adoptions. Payment to the agency, doula, and or counseling costs plus attorney fees, court fees, and then money to support the birth mother's medical expenses and needs through her pregnancy and recovery. Some of that money went to Tara for the counseling services she provided. And as Tara told the Matheny's, the $8,000 was for the birth mother's needs. It would be held in an escrow account with the attorneys. Since the due date was just mere weeks away, they hoped the funds would be sufficient to cover any of the costs in those weeks leading up to the birth. But 
after Tara received the money, the Matheny's felt like things got a little weird. Essentially, once we made that payment, that's when everything started to go sideways, right? Where it was like, couldn't get her on the phone, wasn't answering questions. And meanwhile, of course, we don't want to do anything that's going to like upset the apple cart, right? So like, we don't want to do anything that's going to possibly jeopardize the adoption or piss Say, anybody yeah. off. You're just like walking on eggshells, you know, because you don't want to do anything to upset her, upset the birth parents, like nothing. You don't want to do anything. After that initial whirlwind that resulted in a match, it was really difficult to get consistent communication from Tara. And because Tara was the only point of contact, Teresa and Mike, they were in the dark. They didn't know whether the birth mother was receiving prenatal care, didn't know anything about her doctor's appointments. They had no updates at all. But eventually, the contract did come, which reassured the Matheny's, even though they'd find out that the contract was riddled with incorrect information including the due date. So here are the Matheny's scrambling to make arrangements with their jobs and plan their travel with basically no information. We didn't know where to stay. Like, we didn't know where the hospital was that the baby was going to be. Like, we didn't, we had no information. Yeah. On our paperwork, it said that she was going to be induced and have a C-section at a hospital in Port Huron, Michigan, which is where Where she she lives. The birth mother lived. And that ended up not being true. Tara continued to elude the Matheny's communications. When she communicated at all, it'd be like that shady friend or ex that texts you enough to keep you on a string when they need something but they're dodgy when you need them. It was not what you'd expect from a professional adoption counselor. She would text back and forth with me, I'd ask a question, and then she would, like, ghost me. And then, like, a few hours later, she would reach out to Teresa, right? And then she would engage with Teresa, and and it would be the same thing, and then she would just disappear again. And it was like we were not getting any sort of substance. So imagine, you're excited, you're anxious, and now you're a little confused. You might be adopting your first baby, But the one woman who holds the key to it really isn't giving you anything. The Matheny's, they keep pressuring Tara for any information. They still didn't know when they should come to Michigan. And finally, the week before the baby is scheduled to be induced, Tara told them to come up that weekend. So they packed the car and planned to leave on Saturday. The night before, Friday, October 19th, Teresa and Mike had gone to dinner with Mike's mom. We were driving home. I was driving and and Teresa, I hear her like gasp. She got an email that was from another referral service in Michigan who we had been in contact with. And they sent out an email to like all, it was like a mass email to all of their clients that just said, do we have anybody, anybody like on our roster or whatever who has been in contact or is working with Tara Lee and Always Hope? That sent alarm bells off in my head. But the email said nothing else about Tara. It could really have been about anything. So anyhow, we got home that night and I was sitting in the living room with my mom. Teresa was downstairs in the basement and I just hear this like blood curdling scream. And I just knew it had something to do with that email. Teresa responded to the email saying, hey, we're leaving tomorrow to go adopt a baby through Tara Lee. And the woman wrote back to Teresa. Do not contact Tara. Do not contact anyone. Somebody will be in, in contact with you shortly. Like, talk about throwing gas on and the fire, And then right? I tried to call her. I tried to call this lady. She wouldn't answer the phone. I texted her. She would not text me back after that. Teresa called to Leah Getting, the attorney she'd been working with through Tara. Yes, and there are going to be a lot of T names in this episode, so buckle up. 
She ended up speaking to Talia's law partner on the phone. I was hysterical, like sobbing. And she was like, who told you that something was going on with Tara? And then she was like, she is under investigation for double matching families and for matching families with fake birth mothers. I mean, at this point, the Matheny's are beside themselves. Double matching families, inventing fake birth mothers? As if the process of adoption isn't financially and emotionally hard enough already. Can you imagine you've gone through this long process to show up and find another family is there to adopt the same kid or that there was no birth mother in the first place? This is something that will literally change my life forever. I cannot go through this. And it was so devastating. I just, I didn't know what to do. We'll find out after the break. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the darkness appeared Bin Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios, wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Having heard that the baby they'd hoped to adopt might have also been promised to another family, the Matheny's had no idea what to do next. On the phone with Talia, one of their lawyers, We asked her, what did we do at this point? We were like literally like, the car was packed, and they were like, you should still come. They were supposed to leave the next morning, and now they had no clue whether or not they would travel from Atlanta to Detroit just to find out that this adoption wasn't going to go through. They said, the reason that you haven't heard anything about any of this is because we don't have any reason to believe that your adoption is not real. Teresa and Mike were justifiably upset and confused. They kept wondering, would there be a baby to adopt? Or would it turn out that there would be no baby at all? The FBI was doing an investigation into Tara, but at this point, they had no conclusive evidence that she was scamming people. And that's why they needed to let it play out. The attorneys told the Matheny's that they believed the adoption could happen and advised them to go through with it. The FBI had only given them a few instructions. The FBI wasn't giving us any guidance except try to make those adoptions successful, don't give Tara any money, and try not to let too many people know so Tara doesn't know that we're investigating her. That's really hard to do. And given that there were so many adoptions in process, Investigators wanted to keep their work private, worried that adoptions could fall through. So the Matheny's weren't allowed to talk about this with anyone, especially not Tara, which would be difficult given that they were heading to Detroit to potentially adopt a baby through her agency. And with all of this going on, 
The Matheny's headed out on a two-day journey to Detroit, a road trip that already began with angst. And then... It was on the drive up, we realized, okay, we'd never seen an ultrasound. Like, we'd never seen any sort of proof of life. I just, like, casually text Tara in the car. I was like, hey, I just realized, like, you know, we never got, like, an ultrasound or anything. And she actually sent me an ultrasound video and picture, several pictures. And I was like, oh my God, thank God, it's real. And so I sent it to my cousin and my cousin goes, I don't want to freak you out, but like she would be 42 weeks today, according to the ultrasound. And I was like, oh my God. The ultrasound would put the baby at 42 weeks, which would mean the baby was two weeks overdue. That's not impossible. Some births do go as many as two weeks late, But Tara told them the baby was going to be induced early, not late. So it just didn't make sense. And the Matheny's started to panic. So we went from like, okay, this is okay. Okay, we got the ultrasound. Everything's looking good. To like, oh shit. You know, like, this is a lie. Like, are the lawyers in on it? Like, who is all in on it? There was still a possibility of the adoption being real. They had to go. They had to see Tara. And that was the dinner at the steakhouse chain, Texas Roadhouse. The first time Teresa and Mike met both Tara and the birth parents. They went into the evening knowing that Tara was under investigation and they had no idea what she was going to do. They were relieved to find that the birth parents were real. The pregnancy was real too. But there was another discovery at dinner. Our birth parents told her like in front of us, hey, When are you going to get us those tires? For our car, we need the tires. And she was like, oh, yeah, I'll get them tomorrow or whatever. And they're like, you know, our tires are bald on our car. What happened to the money the Matheny sent for the birth family? It was $8,000. You can get a lot of tires and a lot of other things with $8,000. And it had been only three weeks. She had not been paying their bills. Tara hadn't given the money to the birth mother and her family. They had a four-year-old that was riding around in the car that had no insurance. The tires were bald. Their electricity was about to be cut out. They were about to be evicted. And it's winter in Michigan, you know? It just, I mean, she didn't have shoes. She didn't have a coat. All while Tara was sitting there with her Louis Vuitton bag, her jewels. Yeah, we'll get more into Tara's treatment of birth mothers later in this story, too. Because that's a whole other trip. But that night after dinner... After the Matheny's went back to their hotel, the birth mother passed out in her car at a gas station. When she got in touch with Tara the next day, Tara ordered her an Uber to the hospital to travel 60 miles alone. At the same time, after that disastrous dinner, the Matheny's, they were confused and overwhelmed. And they were really unsure of who to trust anymore. At this point, they'd had enough and they were ready to get out of there and return home to Atlanta. I'm pacing around, like, ready to, like, I'm like, for, forget this. We're going back to Atlanta. I'm done. When we get a call from Tara saying that she was on the way to the hospital. The Matheny's go over to the hospital where they find the birth mother and Tara in a room together. Tara's sitting at this little table in the corner of her room, and Teresa and I are sitting in the room with them against the wall, staring at her awkwardly while Tara sits there and click, click, clicks on her phone with her nails. She's like that abrasive personality that talks out loud. She's texting while she's like, 
no, bitch, if I wanted that, I would have told you. And we're both just, oh my God. Yeah, she was not sensitive to the situation at all. There was no support or anything. And you got to remember, Tara advertised herself as a licensed doula. But from this behavior, there's nothing to suggest she was going to do what a doula is supposed to do. You know, support the birth mother, guiding the birthing process, and provide comfort. None of that was happening. The Matheny stayed at the hospital until Tara told them to go home because she said the birth probably wouldn't happen until tomorrow. But they were gone for only a few hours when Tara called them and said the baby was coming. As they rushed back to the hospital, Tara sent pictures. The baby was born October 25th, 2018. The Matheny's missed the birth of their son, which not only crushed the Matheny's, it was against the birth mother's wishes too. Later, we found was, out that she specifically told her, I want them there for the birth. It just, I just, Teresa's, I can't even talk about it without crying because we missed the birth of our son. Once the Matheny's arrived back at the hospital, they went back to the birth mother's room where they had been just a few hours before. We came up to the delivery room and the baby had been taken down to the NICU and birth mom is sitting there bawling bawling and there's still equipment and stuff in there like all this has obviously just happened and before we could even be like like how was she how was the baby i mean her blood pressure was like 230 over 160 or something that's why the baby came when it did they had to deliver you know so it was like is, is everybody okay the baby had come early because the birth mother wasn't well her blood pressure meant that the doctors needed to induce the birth earlier than planned it had been an intense evening it was important to Teresa and Mike that they make sure the birth mother was okay after delivery. They also wanted to know how the baby was doing. Before we could even ask those questions, Tara was just standing there with her hand out. It was like, so about that money. She literally asked me for a check, mm -hmm. like right there in the delivery room. And it was yeah. like, at that point, I was like, you no longer exist to me. Teresa was trying to talk to the birth mom. She wanted her to feel included. And most importantly, she wanted the birth mom to feel respected. So Teresa was trying to check with her to make sure it was okay for the Matheny's to go see the newborn in the NICU. But Tara ushered them out, leaving the birth mother alone again. I would never want someone to treat me that way. But Tara, that was the way she was like, it was just like so transactional to her. Just, it was so bizarre. And so we get to the NICU and, you know, of course we see him for the first time. They finally had their baby. The little fellow was five pounds, four ounces. For them, it was incredible. He was there. The Matheny's gave their son his first bottle. We're trying to have this moment. And then, you know, again, Tara makes her way down. She butts her way into the NICU. She asked me for money down there again. And it was just like, you know, like, we, we'll talk about this tomorrow. What? Can you believe this woman? Asking for money in the NICU? It's probably not a place where you're supposed to fight, but I think if I was Teresa, I'd have thought about it. The birth mother consented to the adoption. The paperwork was processed. The Matheny's were parents to this wonderful newborn. They were overjoyed about their son, who they named Sam. This was a dream come true, but it was also surreal because the day after Sam's birth, while the Matheny's were making plans to stay in Michigan until Sam was strong enough to travel back to Atlanta, Mike Matheny was on the phone with an FBI agent. At this point, 
we're exhausted. I feel like I've been up for days. You know what I mean? Paranoid. Paranoid, delusional. Yeah. You know, I'm like literally like, I'm like Googling like FBI phone numbers to see like, I'm like, is this guy like legit or is he in on it too? At this point, the Matheny's have been through a lot. Since they connected with Tara, everything had been a frenzy. And while they were overwhelmingly grateful for their son, they still didn't really know what was going on. They weren't sure who to trust anymore. Everything felt turned around. But Teresa and Mike did their best to avoid Tara, who continued to lurk around the hospital. I mean, come on, lady. She was acting angry and calling everyone, from the birth mom to the lawyers, enraged that the Matheny's haven't given her the remaining money yet, $3,000. So the irate Tara went on a complete rampage. She started by calling to Leah. I got a phone call from Tara, and she said, Teresa is acting really weird. I don't like her. There's something wrong with her. I don't think she's fit to have a baby. And the truth was, I had told Teresa, do not give Tara Lee any money. Make up a lie. Tell her, you know, your banks, whatever you got to do. You don't give her any money. But Tara, of course she wanted her money. And so now she was trying to give Teresa and Mike a bad name. Talia had to help cover up why they hadn't paid yet. So Teresa and Mike told Tara, oh, you know, they made up a reason why they couldn't give her these thousands of dollars. And Tara calls me and she tells me, basically, she doesn't want this adoption to go through. And I know that she, Tara Lee, is going to try to sabotage this adoption. And the Matheny's, they weren't the only ones trying to avoid terror while all this was going down. So were the birth parents. Teresa and Mike found an opportunity to sit down with them, and they got some more information about Tara. They confirmed that the money they had sent initially to cover pregnancy costs and care, from bills to insurance, had never gone to them. Mike and Teresa wanted to do right by Sam's birth family now and pitch in without Tara in the mix you know, take care of the things that Tara had neglected. We essentially stepped in at that point and kind of took over Tara's role. At the same time, it was like Tara made it her mission to sabotage the adoption. She kept calling the birth family over and over, telling them to stop the process, warning them that there was something wrong with the Matheny's. Tara suspected something was going on, and she didn't like it, but she didn't realize how much worse it was going to get. More after the break. It just starts with two women who connect off of an adoption board who happen to have failed through Tara, who start to communicate and they notice that there are some discrepancies. And then they find a third woman. They start this Facebook group. And it was like, I want to say that by the time that we were in it, there were 30, 40 families. The Matheny's were one of the families in this Facebook group that was rapidly growing. All people who had had some bizarre encounter with Tara, who had paid lots of money up front and were unsure what it was being used for. There were other families that were talking about how they had made payments on the same day that our son was born. We were with Tara that whole day in in the hospital. So it's like knowing that she was sitting there collecting money from other people while we were sitting in the room with her. And the Matheny's weren't just upset that Tara was using their private family moment as a co-working space to do her accounts. No, 
It was much worse than that. The Matheny's discovered that Tara was actively matching other prospective families with their son. So then we find out that she's been sending pictures of our son that was just born that we have custody of and like basically dangling him over over other families, like making them think that they could adopt him. Some of the members of the Facebook group, now that they were talking, they started to take action. One of the mothers had contacted the lawyers who were working with Tara, lawyers like Talia Getting. We got a phone call from a woman who accused us of being involved with a a Tara Lee scam. They ended up talking for a while. Afterwards, Talia and her law partners sat down to try and figure out what was going on. They were reeling in disbelief. Could Tara actually be running a scam? They knew there had been some failed adoptions, but that was pretty normal in private adoptions. And they only came in to process the successful ones. And Tara, she was certainly chaotic, but could she actually be a criminal? After that, I realized that I had access to Tara Lee's email on my computer. So we looked in it and she had these contracts for one birth mother that were signed by multiple adoptive parents that were matched to this one birth mother. They find that Tara was matching multiple families with the same birth mother, meaning that for every family that had a successful adoption, there were several families cheated. It didn't seem like a normal process at all. And then we just went into a deep dive. There were over 4,000 emails, and I was able to do some keywords, and what we discovered was just, just shocking. We were trying to make a chart of birth mothers who'd been matched to adopted parents. In some cases, there was no actual birth mother at all. We noticed that birth mother had a profile as if she was like pregnant when she wasn't, and that there were four matches to this birth mother profile. And it became apparent that this woman was getting money to pretend she was pregnant and pretend to, in the end, it was, I think it was four other couples that they were all going to get her baby. I know Tara Lee made $60,000 off that one match to a woman that wasn't even pregnant. $60,000? Wow. To Talia, it was clear. This isn't a mistake. There's no way she can get around this. This is a fraud. And the next thing we know, within 24 hours, we're just we're meeting with the FBI, state of Michigan, police. Talia found other startling information in Tara's emails. She had been fabricating documents, including contracts that the lawyers didn't even know about. And then they saw the fees that Tara was charging. We knew that she was getting money, but in the beginning she told us they were just donations to her 503C which she had. A 503, one of those organizations where you're not supposed to make a profit. So we didn't have to put donations down on a birth mother expense sheet. And then she would tell us that she's getting paid for being a doula or she's getting paid for counseling. So we would put that down. But we didn't know until we got those contracts. Wow, what she was making. What was all that money going towards? We also noticed that she was a shopaholic. 
She had her receipts emailed to her, and there was a substantial trail of all of her purchases. She was shopping constantly. Another thing that Tara would do is she would tell people she had cancer. So, you know, if she's not answering, not getting back to you right away, well, maybe she's getting her cancer treatment or maybe the cancer treatments affected her brain. At one point, she came into our office, and this is when we were helping the FBI. And she left, and she said she had a doctor's appointment to see her cancer doctor. But about a half hour later, there was a new email in her account because it was up on my computer. And it showed that she was at the nearby mall and had just spent over $1,000 on tedious things like a $170 scarf. Come on, Tara. Are you serious? It's not enough that you're out here making up birth mothers. Now you're faking cancer? And while she's getting her cancer treatments, she's just at the mall. The FBI, they had a lot to work with. And what they first focused on was this paper trail. They looked at her bank account and her purchases. I mean, this this woman... Tara redid her house, like her kitchen, her bathroom. She had a motorhome, a boat, a fancy new car. I mean, they just followed her spending. The families who worked with Tara were in pretty regular communication with the FBI and the U.S. Attorney's Office as they were building this case. This is a delicate situation. So they're trying to find a way to charge her. But then you have families that have open adoptions, so their adoptions aren't finalized, and we were one of them. And so with that, if they would have pushed too hard, then you have all these counties that are going to reopen these adoptions. The process was overwhelming and devastating. This business is a perfect opportunity for a predator because you have two vulnerable parties, right? You have the birth parents who are not an easy situation and a choice that they've made that is a very hard decision. And then you have, you know, sorry, I'm getting emotional. You have um, families like us. We just wanted a family. You know what I mean? And she like, she is just a perfect opportunity as an industry is a perfect opportunity for two parties that you can prey on. And she knew that, that people felt that way. She knew that we felt like you can't upset me because I can take it away from you. I have the control. I can take this from you. And she made that very clear. The thing is, sometimes Tara really did follow through. Sometimes there really was a birth mother and some families were lucky to have their match come through like the Matheny's. Like any good lie, Tara's scam had just enough truth to keep people believing. But for every family like the Matheny's, there seemed to be many more whose dreams were crushed. And yet, Tara was still able to keep her cheek going. She knew she was on the brink of being arrested on federal charges, and she just couldn't stop herself. And not everyone realized what Tara was up to. And not everyone believed it when they learned of the allegations. Because Tara had built a successful business for herself. She still had families looking to her for assistance with adoptions. She still had people in her corner, like Adam Bells Thomas. We believed her. We believed what she was telling us. We believed stories because it made sense. We had had the successful adoption. We'd had some fails, but that happens. So we believed her. At this point, the FBI was pulling together a case, but they still didn't know what it would come to. They didn't know what kind of charges they'd even be able to bring if it came to that. 
because she's still making family's dreams come true, even if through nefarious means. A lot of things we consider to be good are achieved through nefarious means, whether we like it or not. But this is taking advantage of an emotional and complex situation, preying on the desires of both adoptive parents and birth parents alike. That may be a line you shouldn't cross. And if a person does cross it, what do you think should happen to them? Find out in the next part of this story, where you'll hear more from Adam Bells Thomas and other folks who were close to Tara. Part two, out next week, March 29th. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. This episode was produced by Julia Doyle. The executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs and Tom Koenig. The series editor is Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta at Output Media. Our production coordinators are Jennifer Mystery and Iker Egbatola.